morning again. Scripture reading for today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 39. And this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And as we are here in mid-April, hopefully toward the tail end of the pandemic, it's so delightful to see many of your faces that we're not just talking to a camera with few people here, but we we are seeing many more members here joined together. Uh, So it's great to see you seeing me as we're here to worship. Uh, Before we go into the preaching of our word, we want to welcome and acknowledge some of the guests who are visiting us, joining us this morning. Uh, We have Kathy and Ire who are sitting to my left, to your right in the back. Uh, Yes, we're we're going (laughs) to say hi. So if you guys could just simply raise your hand so that we know where you are and we can say hi to you. We have our friends Derek and June who are sitting to my right, to your left. Thank you for joining us today. And we have a friend, Raymond, sitting also in the back to my left, uh, joining us this morning. Thank you guys for joining us today. Oh, and to the people who are at home. Hello. (laughs) 
Well, we are in the book of Hebrews this morning, and um, book of Hebrews is a very incredibly encouraging book. Uh, we, we don't know exactly who the author is. Some spe- speculate with some good evidence that, that it may have been a sermon that was delivered by one person and written down by someone else. One theologian speculates that Paul may have preached it, Luke may have written it, wrote it, but um, there's, there's no definitive evidence of the original author. Nevertheless, we have this book by God's providence, and as you read and study, as you meditate upon it, we will give thanks because it's here in the scriptures. Uh, it's written to the Jews who converted to Christianity, and this is why the book is called Hebrews. It was written to the Hebrews, specifically to the Hebrews who started to question whether Jesus was really worth following. They thought perhaps it's better to go back to the old system of sacrificing animals and abandon Christ altogether. And so from one aspect to another, the author goes and shows how Jesus is better than any other things that they have followed before. He is better than the angels. He is better than the prophets. He's better than Moses who delivered the, the, law, the law of God after leading people out of Egypt. He's better than Aaron and the sacrificial system. He's better than Joshua, who sought to give people rest after the conquest of Canaan. And that's why this book can be so encouraging for those who take the time to read and study. And so um, don't just listen about Hebrews in our sermon today, but I want to encourage you to go and read and meditate upon this by yourselves. Uh, Particularly because, as we see in our passage, it is specifically to those who are wandering away from the faith. And this past year has been hard on all of us particularly as an assembly of God's people where we could not assemble together, that there's a sense of mourning that we all experience because we couldn't enjoy what we're enjoying more and more as the days go by. It was truly a time of mourning. And because we weren't able to assemble, perhaps some of you are like the Hebrews that this author is talking to. Perhaps you yourselves have been wandering away, backsliding from the faith, and and you're just wondering, is Jesus really worth following? Is being a devoted Christian following after this Jesus really worth doing? And so I hope as as you hear the word this morning that you will be encouraged and challenged and and all the while see that he is truly worth all that we are. So join with me in prayer as we go into the message this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us here. And thank you, Lord, that by your grace we hear your word. And I pray that you may give us eyes to behold our risen Savior, our precious Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may have hope. And uh, to the, those who are wandering and who have been uh, backsliding, to those who have been far off, we pray that you will draw them near. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm a very handsy that's a weird word. Uh, just, I like to move my hands, and, and holding a microphone uh, restrains me. Boy, this is the one that had to be recorded, isn't it? Um, but uh, I, I have known someone when I was in college, uh, someone that I, I had called to be a great preacher of the word. He was the first person who actually went through Acts with me and, and, and showed me. Uh, I never noticed it until he pointed out how Jesus stood how Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, saw the vision of heaven, and Jesus was standing. He was a charismatic guy in, in his preaching. He was charming. He was athletic. He, he brought life into the room. You wanted to hear him speak. But then the pressures of ministry were getting to him. 
It was hard to, to juggle ministry. Uh, he was earning his bachelor's degree. He was an, he's an older guy, but he was earning his bachelor's degree, and he's married. So he's trying to juggle ministry, school, and marriage all at the same time. He was also in a very difficult ministry situation. Over time, as these challenges grew and things got more difficult, he started to question not just his calling as a pastor, but he started to even question his faith in God. Eventually, I'm sad to say, he walked away from the faith completely, and as far as I know, he has not returned. Long time ago, uh, in, in, in a different ministry, I had a, a youth student, a high school student, who approached me one day and, and shared how she was doubting the existence of God. I'm not sure if he's real. When I asked why, she said, because I can't do what he wants me to do. I can't obey what he commands me to do. And I, I thought it was so amazing that our minds would rather deny the existence of God rather than acknowledge our own failure to obey and our need for the Savior. But over time, though things got tough, she started to trust, not in her ability to obey, but in God's faithfulness and power to save. Eventually, as I'm happy to say, she understood how Jesus paid the price and the obedience comes by grace as we seek him and trust in him. And as far as I know, she is still living a life of faith and obedience to the Lord. But as I see these two individuals, I wonder how is it that someone who studied the word and seemingly preached it faithfully can one day decide to abandon the faith in Christ himself while a young high school student who barely touched her Bible can one day decide to embrace Jesus all the more and become a faithful follower of him. These two individuals both thought about quitting. And that's not the issue. Everybody at one point or another, have thought about quitting. All of us in this room, or perhaps most of us, I'm, 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 I can probably guess all of us in this room, have one point in your life thought about quitting this walk of faith, quitting Jesus, quitting Christ altogether. The issue, however, is not about thinking when you want to quit or thinking about quitting. The issue is who is going to persevere and not quit? Every one of us, we have thought about quitting, but the issue is who is going to persevere and not quit? Friends, brothers and sisters, this morning I want to ask you, have you been thinking about quitting? And as we said how difficult this past year has been, have you, have you felt like you've been wandering away from the faith, drifting slowly away from Jesus? Perhaps you have reached a moment in your life where you've begun to wonder, is it worth following him? Maybe you're looking over your shoulder and seeing other systems of faith to follow. Maybe there are different religions that I could look into. Maybe there are different ways and lifestyles that are better than what I'm called to do now. Maybe Jesus is not the best. Maybe he's not worth it. Maybe there are other means that are better than him. If this is you then I hope you can draw near. Don't wander away and come back. If you feel like you've been wandering away from the faith, that you've been backsliding, if you've been seeing other religions or different ideologies and systems of belief to be more appealing, that you will draw near to Christ, to not wander away and come back. And that will be the outline of the sermon this morning. Draw near, don't wander away, and come back. The writer of Hebrews has informed his audience that the law was but a shadow of good things to come. 
The Old Testament system, including the numerous animal sacrifices, were only pointing to what Jesus would do on the cross. That a single sacrifice of Christ will wash away all the sins of those who believe. And therefore, we don't need to offer sacrifices anymore. We don't need to offer animal sacrifices anymore. Christ became the better sacrifice as the better priest. And we have received full pardon, full forgiveness of our offenses against him. You were clean. You were unclean, but God made you clean. He did the work of purifying and cleansing you. Now, would you ever go to a job interview or even approach your boss without looking your best? Without washing yourself and wearing clean clothes? Now, how would you feel if you were in your office and, and you knew that there was a large visible stain on your clothes moments before you were summoned into the CEO's, CEO's office? Some of us feel anxious, just wondering, am I clean enough? Am I presentable enough? Some of you, I know, you, you, you wouldn't even go outside unless you have showered and you're wearing brand new clothes. Some of you wouldn't even go to the gym unless you're wearing makeup and making sure you look good. Now, sisters, I have no idea what you do, but I know that's what the brothers do. But you feel so worried and anxious to stand before another person Dirty and unflattering. But because God has cleansed you, the writer of Hebrews says, because he's the one who cleansed you, you didn't clean yourself, where you have to constantly wonder, am I clean enough? And of course, I'm talking about figurative and, and, and spiritual way of being clean. That you didn't clean yourself and you're wondering, am I clean enough? I, I wonder if I missed a spot. I don't know if I'm fully presentable to God. And you're not trusting other people to clean you because they may have missed a spot and you might wonder, have they done a good enough job? But the text here says, God cleansed you. Therefore, let us draw near. You don't have to feel anxious about approaching God. You're clean. There's no speck of dirt on you. There are no flaws on you that he should reject you. You know, people in the Old Testament, they, they would always be concerned and wondered if they were ever clean enough. If you ever approached to worship in your sacrifices and feast while you were unclean, you would be rejected. You could, you could potentially even be cut off from the entire congregation of Israel. You were not allowed to approach to sacrifice if you were ceremonially unclean. And if you read the Old Testament, there are many ways to be unclean. Many reasons why you might be unclean. You might have touched something that was unclean, and therefore you become unclean. You might have sat next to someone. You might have eaten something. You might have gazed. You might have gone somewhere that would consider you unclean. And every single time, you would have to think back to your life. It's like, have I? Did I, did I cleanse myself? Am I okay? Because there was the threat of being rejected and perhaps even cast out, depending on what you have done and what you're doing. But the text here says, because of what Jesus has accomplished through his sacrifice, we can be confident to stand before God. Confident to stand before God. That it doesn't matter what you've touched, what you ate, who, who you're next to, or what you sat on that other people sat on. It doesn't matter what type of physical deformities or conditions you may have. You can confidently come before God knowing that through Jesus you would never be rejected. Again, this confidence isn't based on you. It's not based on what you have done or what you can bring. It's based on who God is, on, on what, what he has done, and all the things that he has said, because he is faithful to everything that he has said. 
But as I know myself and as I know my fellow human beings, despite what has been revealed in Scripture, it is still so hard sometimes. It is still so easy to wander away, even though we know in our minds and we know the knowledge in Scripture that God has washed us and we can be confident to approach Him. And it still feels so difficult. It still feels so anxiety-filled and, and worry-filled. The gospel sounds good, but there are times in life where it just doesn't feel real sometimes. And that's why in addition to the truth proclaimed by God through the prophets, which we have in, in the Bible, we also need the community that God has brought together. We need the truth of God and we need the community of God. A community that can stir one another to love and good works through a regular assembly and speaking to encourage one another. This is what we have missed. To be able to gather together as an assembly of God's people is something that we have mourned for about a year now. Because our gathering is supposed to encourage us. It's supposed to not only remind us of the truth that we profess, but to be able to actually live it out and hold with faith and hope of what Jesus has accomplished. So it is no wonder that people, particularly this past year, have been wandering away from the faith, have been backsliding, because we haven't been able to assemble as God's people like this. And you can't be a faithful Christian if you're a solo Christian. Because the life of a Christian is about loving God and loving people. So if you're a Christian in solitude, if you're a Christian who is alone and by yourself, you cannot be a faithful one. And you cannot be a preserving, persevering one if you're a solo Christian. Because as we have seen throughout the book of Acts, it's a challenging life to believe in Jesus. It's not something that can be done by yourself. Perhaps some of you prefer to be solo. Perhaps some of you prefer to be in solitude because you've been hurt by the church. And it's difficult for you to commit yourself to, to fully invest and be invested by a community. It's hard for you to trust people around you. And we mourn and we weep with you in that. But the reality is you cannot do faith alone, no matter how many times you want to do it. You cannot do faith alone. We confidently proclaim that we live by faith alone, but you cannot do faith alone. So as we're called to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done, he has made the way for us through sacrifice, through his self-sacrifice. We can look to Jesus and know that he is enough for us. We can, take, we can trust in Jesus to, to deal with our sins in our lives. So draw near to him. Know that he has made the way, and if you believe in him, draw near to him. You are clean enough because he has made you clean. But we're also called to draw near to God together. Not alone, but together. Charles Spurgeon once said, some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude. Is that you? Has your life been about as long as I believe in Jesus and I get to go to heaven, that's what matters. That's what my life is. But listen to what he says. Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. But those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. There's joy for us to go together, grow together. And as the author of Hebrews encourages the wandering believers to draw near, he also gives a word of warning 
of falling away. Which brings us to the second point of the sermon. The author here is speaking on the topic of apostasy. It's uh, those who have professed to believe and they have been active in living a life of faith, but at some point in their lives, they've decided to abandon the faith. This isn't the first time that the writer of Hebrews speaks on the subject of apostasy. And while some religions like Islam, they aim to keep people in the religion through fear, saying if, if you leave this religion, you're going to receive death, the death penalty. Right? They speak with fear because they're afraid. They're afraid of losing their identity, their fear of, of shrinking, and so they have to threaten people. You leave this religion and we get to take your life. But Christians aim to keep people in the religion with love through the reality of God's judgment if they abandon Christ. It's, it's not that our, we want our church to be three, four, five hundred people big. Great if that happens. But we're feared for your life. We're fearful for you. There is the judgment of God that is coming. And when you abandon Jesus, there is no mediator and helper for you. And you will face the wrath of God. So please turn to Christ. We do not threaten people's lives for abandoning Jesus. We speak merely the reality of what is to come for those who abandon Jesus. Christians should not be people who are wishy-washy about heaven and hell. Friends, you should not be wishy-washy about heaven and hell. The Bible certainly does not leave the existence of such places open to interpretation. We should not shy away from the subject or claim to not know it clearly because People are going to hell. We may not know the minute details of what heaven is going to be like or what hell is going to be like, but we should very clearly know and confidently say, one, these places exist. And two, heaven's a great place to be. Hell's a terrible place to be. And if we truly love the fellow man, if we truly believe that sin is misery and death, not just what happens in the afterlife, but that there's a level of misery and there's a level of death today because of sin. If we truly believe in these things, then shouldn't we speak to people when they're constantly, deliberately living in their sinfulness, warning them that such habits and beliefs will lead them down into eternal despair? The Apostle Paul spoke of how we are ambassadors for Christ. And what is it that drives us to speak to people and make an appeal begging people, please be reconciled to God. He says it's the love of Christ. In fact, the phrase he uses, he says, the love of Christ controls us. We can't help but tell people about Jesus because we love them as Jesus loves us. And so as ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us. When we go and tell people about Christ, it is not simply out the outpouring of our desire for people, but it is God making that appeal through us. We implore you, we beg of you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. The day of the Lord is coming. Our judgment day is coming. And Christians need to get in the habit of meeting regularly and encouraging one another. And, and the word encouraging there isn't just simply to make another person feel good or uplift one person. But the encouragement there is also to warn those who are constantly, deliberately sinning. Because there is a fearful judgment at the end. 
that if you claim to believe in Jesus, there should be evidence, a life change in you. There should be a change in the way you think about sin, though you struggle with it. There should be a way in the way you pursue righteousness, though you struggle with it. So we need to meet regularly, encourage one another, and warn those who are constantly and deliberately sinning because there is a fearful judgment. Every single one of us struggle. We all fall into sin sometimes. Even the best of us, we fall into sin sometimes. But the one who knows the seriousness of sin and constantly and unrepentantly sins, thereby rejecting Christ, there remains no mediator for that person. If you know everything that Jesus has done, and nothing has changed in you in the way that you think about sin and the way you think about holiness, there is no other sacrifice for you. There is no intercessor or mediator for you. When you stand before God in judgment, it will just be you and your sins laid out bare. And this is worse for those who have already known this, even at one time professed it, like the pastor friend that I mentioned in the beginning, who have turned their backs and wandered away from Christ. Because by doing so, they are trampling the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, enraging the spirit of grace. As the author of Hebrews says in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If the death penalty was permitted by two or three witnesses when you violate the law of Moses, how much worse it is when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit stands as a witness against you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This warning, friends, it's not just for those who are wandering. It's a, it's, a, it's a wake up call to all of us here in this room who may not be wandering because we need to make our salvation sure by the fruit that we bear. Salvation is not just a behavioral adjustment, but it's a growth of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self, self control, faithfulness, and self control. It's the willingness to do the hard work of forgiving those who have offended you. It's repenting, repenting, turning away from your sin with hatred towards sin and turning to Jesus in faith, trusting that he's sufficient and he stands as our perfect righteousness. Friends, there are real consequences of turning away from Christ. And if we know anyone who is wandering away from the faith, let us warn them because there is a fearful judgment that is coming against all sin and evil. And if you're the one wandering away, rejecting Christ and embracing sin, then please, I beg you, please consider what God was willing to do to save sinners like me. How an innocent man willfully hung on the cross to take the place of sinful people like myself. Because I believe hell is real, because I believe that hell is a terrible place, I would ask you, implore you, beg of you to turn to Christ and be saved. Lastly, if you find yourself backsliding and wandering away, come back. If you've seen yourself this past year and, and you've just been stagnant and you feel like you're just not with the Lord, there's a simple invitation to come back. How does the writer of Hebrews encourage wandering people to turn back to Christ? What does he say that we need to persevere in the faith when things get really rough? Look back to the former days when you were enlightened and look ahead to the great reward that is waiting for you. 
This is what he does. Look back. Look to the past. The former days when you were enlightened, when the light of Jesus came on. And look ahead to the day when you will receive the great reward because you have endured. This issue, again, the issue that I'm mentioning is not have you thought about quitting. Again, every single one of us, including myself, we have thought about quitting this faith. We have thought about quitting Jesus at one point. The issue is not the thinking of quitting. The issue is persevering and not quitting. And the writer understands how tough it has been. He, he sounds like a pastor who genuinely loves the congregation that he is speaking to. He's, he knows the, the difficult situations that these members had to endure. How trusting in Jesus brought so much suffering and trials in their lives and how because of their trials and suffering, how other things and other lifestyles can be so appealing. But isn't this true of many things or perhaps all things of life? I mean, why do people quit? Why do people step away or wander? Why do people backslide from the things that they had committed to? It's because things get tough. It gets hard. You're challenged and you're maybe thinking there's a better way. There has to be an easier way, a more comfortable way to live. When do people generally quit? When do they leave? When things get hard. It's true in marriage. It's true in parenting. It's true in education and career. It's true in simply just living. Life is hard. I don't think I can go another day. But he says as an encouragement, how do you persevere when things get really difficult, when you're tempted to quit? Look back to the former days when you were enlightened, when you saw the light of Jesus, and look ahead to the great reward because of your endurance. So he says these two things. Look back to the former days and look ahead to the great reward. Remember the time when you really saw the light of Jesus, when you really fell in love with him. Remember back to the time when you came to this revelation thinking God really loves me, that I have really been forgiven, that he accepts me, that I'm really clean. I don't have to try anything hard anymore, but I can simply come confidently because Jesus made the way for me. Do you remember that time in your life? When you look back to, to when you became a Christian for the first time or when you, became, uh, when you came to this understanding of his love for you, it, are there moments in your past that would really encourage you today? Man, when I look back, back then, I was so passionate. I was so devoted. I loved reading the word. I just wanted to know more of Christ. I hungered and I thirst for his righteousness. What happens to people who really love Jesus? This pastor has understood their lives and have seen the result of their love for Christ. How because they loved Jesus so deeply at one point in their lives, they were willing to endure so much hardship. They were willing to go through so much persecution. They visited presumably fellow Christians who were in prison for their faith. They visited these individuals who were in, uh, in prison, uh, giving them whatever supplies they needed and visited them often so that they would not be isolated. They even joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. He's saying, look back to that time when you loved Jesus so much that even when you lost your house and all your belongings, you said, God is still good. Because I love him and with him is a greater reward. 
look back to that moment. Look back to those moments in your life. He's saying, I've seen God work in you. There's no way you could have done that by yourself. I've seen God do amazing things in you. Only those who truly believe can endure such hardships for the faith. And so if God had started doing something like that in you then, know that he's going to bring it to completion. Right? We might be discouraged when we think back and look back to what we used to be and think, man, I am not like that anymore. I just don't want to read the word. I just really don't want to find a, a solid community of believers. I don't want to seek the Lord. And, and, and I feel discouraged because I just feel so apathetic and numb. I wish I was like that again. And yet what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling the church as he says, look back to the former days when you were enlightened, he's saying God did something there. And because he started something there, guess what? He's going to bring it to completion. Those moments of great desire and joy that you have felt for the Lord, those can come back. God's going to bring them back as you seek him, as you look to him. See how you have trusted in the Lord and his promises to you then. See how well you've endured and ran the race. And you can run well again. Because what he started in you, he will bring it to completion. Friends, if you've ever been frustrated and disappointed because you feel like you're not as passionate as you used to be, you feel like you're not being genuine or devoted as you used to be, there's an encouragement to you. Because such things can happen again. Such joy and devotion and longing for the Lord and love for God can rise again. Because God began that good work to give you that love and joy and devotion and he will bring it to completion. You know, there's an unfortunate joke that we talk about concerning married couples. And I admit, I'm guilty of spreading it too. We joke about how for those who are dating or engaged, there's so much passion and expressions of love. They always want to be together. They always want to go places together. While the married couples will say to one another, I'll meet you there. Just don't be late. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. Married couples, how they just don't have the passion like they used to. For those of you who are married in this room, perhaps this is not a joke to you. Perhaps this is your reality. And you wonder and thought, what happened to the love that we had for one another then? What happened to the joy and, and the passion that we had for one another then? The times that we desired for each other then? Where's that gone? And so you look back to what you used to be and you grieve because you feel like that's not where you are now. Or you grieve because that is not where you are now. You wonder, where's the passion? Where's the love? Does my spouse still love me and find me desirable? And just like, I mean, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is, is, is what you might find in marriage counseling for those couples, right? Look back to the point when you used to talk to each other. Look back at the time in your relationship when you used to gaze into one another's eyes, grossing out every single person who were around you. And this may initially discourage you, but there is also an encouragement to know that what you have experienced then can be experienced again. Because as Christians, we believe what God has joined together, let man not separate. That marriage is something that God has brought together. 
So if God had begun that good work in you, then you can trust that he's going to bring it to completion. You don't have to trust in your husband. You don't have to trust in your wife. You don't have to trust in yourself and your ability. You can trust in God that he began that good work and he will bring it to completion. So there is much joy and encouragement even as we look back at all the ways that we have grown in the Lord, recognizing that he did something then and he can do something now. Those feelings that once faded away, they can come back, and they often do. It takes work, but they often do. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to the believers who are wandering away. Remember how much you love Jesus? Remember how much he was worth to you, that you were willing to lose everything on this earth to gain him? Those passions, those drives can come back because the good work that he began then, he will bring it to completion. So all the efforts that you have put in, all the trials that you've endured, all the growth that you've experienced, don't throw it all away. Look how far you've come. Don't throw it all away. And he also tells us to not only look back to the time when we were enlightened, but look ahead to the great reward and endure. We're to look forward to what is awaiting us, this great reward that is promised to us. He says in verse 37, this day is coming, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. In a little while, he will return. He will not delay. The great reward for us Christians is not a thing, but it's a person. It's Jesus himself and the ability, the opportunity to enjoy him forever for all eternity in his kingdom. There is a set time of his return. He will not delay. And I just can't help but imagine in that moment that I can see him face to face, no longer needing faith, but can see him with my visible eyes, with my very own eyes, and see the flesh that were pierced for me. To hear his voice to say, in the times that you cried to me, I was there and I listened to you. In the times of your sorrow and your tears, I was present, and when you asked God, where are you, I was right there with you. I was right there in your agony and your pain and whatever you endured. I was there with you. And now you're here with me. Just imagine what your life would be like if you could just put that in perspective in everything that you're going through. That the one who can love us no more than any other person would actually welcome us, embrace us, and that we can be with him forever. One commentator, he proposed this question and suggestion. He said, what would it do to our lives if we thought more about the reward we, we, we were promised in Christ? We so easily become jaded and stop thinking about it. Or perhaps we become complacent. Life here is so nice. There's no reason to think about looking forward. We don't think about rewards because we don't have to. We're not compelled to. And perhaps this is the reason why suffering in one sense is a great spiritual blessing. Because now our eyes are finally taken off in the deceitful treasures of this world. And we can hope as we gaze upon the Lord, saying, Lord, I just want to be with you. I can't wait for the day to be with you. This is how he encourages those who are wandering and backsliding, friends. Look back to the former days when, when... 
you had that great love and passion for Jesus and how much you were willing to endure because of your faith in him. And look ahead to the great reward that is promised to you as you endure. He will not delay. So in this season, if you have found yourself to be wandering away or backsliding in faith, I hope you can draw near because Jesus made the way by dying for us. That you will not wander away because there is a real threat to abandoning Christ. And that you will come back because he's alive and he will return to make all things new, bringing you and all of his people into the new heaven and the new earth. That you will come to see that he is really worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have a word for us wandering people who are constantly tempted by the the various treasures of this world that is fading away and the many gods who promise us Uh, many gods who promise us comfort and joy. We thank you, Lord, that in all things you have shown yourself to be trustworthy and real. And I pray that you would give us the faith to hold on and draw near to our very Savior who was willing to die for us. That we will not wander away from this faith which you have given. And that we will always know that we can come to the Lord because of the, the, the work that you have done in us before and the great reward that is for us as we cling to you. So fill us, Lord, with, with joy. Fill us, Lord, with hope as we endure many trials in this age. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's rise and stand together and close our time with a song of praise. <laughs>